Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, we celebrate the Feast of the Baptism of Jesus Christ, and the readings are quite appropriate for this occasion. Now, the first thing that we have to keep in mind is that this event, the Baptism of Christ, was deeply embarrassing for the early first century Christians. If there was any event in Jesus' life that should have been left out, it should have been this. And yet, it's included in all four of the Gospels. Now, the early first century Christians had a very difficult time explaining Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, submitting himself to a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. When you stop and think, that makes no sense whatsoever. Why would he do such a thing? That's why in the gospel that we heard for this weekend, John tries to prevent him. Even John didn't understand. That's why John says to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you are coming to me? By saying this, first and foremost, John knows who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. And yet, he doesn't agree with Jesus being baptized. Now, we know Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is sinless. Jesus never sinned, never will sin. It's against his divine nature. And yet, it doesn't make sense. Now, the early first century Christians may have thought this was very embarrassing to explain. That's why they avoided it in the first few years of our church. They would not talk about it whatsoever because they didn't understand it. Now, remember, John is inviting sinners from all over to come and be baptized as a symbol of the repentance for their sins. And Jesus knows that. And yet, he still submits to this baptism. Again, if there were any event in Jesus' life that the evangelical writers should have left out, it should have been this. Again, we find it in all four of the Gospels. Also remember, this is the very first step that Jesus takes in beginning his public ministry. Now, when we begin anything, for example, a new job, we want to always put our best foot forward to impress others. It appears Jesus is doing just the opposite. He's in the worst way. He's beginning his new ministry. But as always in Scripture, in the Bible, it has these ironies, these turns and twists that are unexpected. So it begs the question, what is it about this event that is so special? Well, it shows us just how strangely God operates. God's ways are not our ways. Jesus, he leaves aside all of his glory and majesty, and he slips into the cold, muddy waters of the Jordan River, and no one notices him. He stands side by side with sinners, shoulder to shoulder with them. Now imagine people coming out from all over to John, 
and going out into the Jordan River to be baptized. Now, some of these people are probably the -the run-of-the-mill sinners. Some are very serious sinners. And yet, they're all seeking one thing, forgiveness and peace. Well, Jesus now stands with all of these sinners, and he humbly submits to this baptism. Again, this is the first move in Jesus' public life, and appears that Jesus is looking as bad as he could look. And yet, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. It was an intentional irony. Jesus' first public move was very intentional, to stand shoulder to shoulder with us in solidarity. He does so at the very beginning of his ministry and tells us all, he plans to save us especially all of us that are sinners. Now, when you stop and think about that, that's phenomenal. That's incredible. We can't take this event lightly. This event, Jesus' baptism, is as powerful as his birth, his miracles, even his passion, death, and resurrection. Now, stop and think. The Old Testament prophets, how were they always envisioning God? On top of a mountain, We down below separated from God because of our sinfulness. To think God would now come down from that mountain and stand shoulder to shoulder with us in solidarity in our condition, well, that is something unheard of. Our sinless God would do such a thing. Why? To bring God's love and mercy to each and every one of us. See, this is why John's initial response is quite appropriate. He says, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? See, John speaks with the attitude of all the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets always proclaimed judgment from God. God was this judge and juror, and he was going to shine his wrath and punishment upon the people, especially the sinners. A great example of this is John says later on, God will come and baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. His winnowing fan is in his hand to burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. And yet now Jesus, the Son of God, is kneeling before John. That's why John says, I should be baptized by you. John is completely befuddled by this whole situation. See, John thinks this isn't how God should behave, but it's exactly how God behaves. Standing with us, for the express purpose of sharing his love and his mercy for each and every one of us. What a powerful way for Jesus to break onto the scene and begin his new ministry. Now, according to the world, it appears like it's a bad mistake accepting this baptism. But in reality, it's a great event, and it sends a powerful message to the entire world. And see, that's at the heart of the matter, that Jesus came to forgive our sins and save us and reconcile us back to the Father. Now, how wonderful that at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he sends us a powerful message without uttering one single word. How many times in Jesus' preaching does he say, I have come not for the healthy, but for the sick and the sinner. Fast forward to the Last Supper. Jesus takes the chalice and he says, Take this cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It'll be shed for the forgiveness of sins. See, this is why Jesus came into this world. He came to humbly stand with us. 
Now, with that in mind, turn to the first reading. Here we have Isaiah describing the Messiah and what he will do. He says, A bruised reed he will not break. Well, we've all seen a bruised reed or a bruised stick. What's the first temptation? Break it. Throw it away. When the Messiah comes, he comes to repair us. He doesn't cast us aside, especially us as sinners, broken because of our sinfulness. No, not at all. Instead, he comes to heal our brokenness and to restore us to a relationship with God once again. He continues, a smoldering wick he will not quench. Well, we've all seen this. A candle in which the flame is weak and it's struggling to stay lit. Again, our first temptation, we say, oh, this is hopeless. We just want to blow it out. Well, when this Messiah comes, he comes not to put out the flame of faith in our life, but instead to grow that flame of faith, to nurture it. We are all meant to be on fire for God. But because of our sin, that fire tends to struggle. Well, Jesus comes to strengthen and grow that fire of faith within each and every one of us. I think a good analogy to help us understand this and appreciate the message is if you look at a successful sports coach. In this case, since we're in Wisconsin and Green Bay Packers are playing tonight, look at Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi He won several championships with the Green Bay Packers. He coached elite players. Say, for example, Vince Lombardi has a grandson who is playing football on a peewee league, and he goes to watch one of their games, and the grandson as well as his teammates are not playing well. Now, will Vince Lombardi go down to the field and start screaming at the players? No, not at all. Because he is a great coach, the first thing he'll do, he'll take a knee. Now he is staring eye to eye with the little players, shoulder to shoulder with them. And then he begins to teach them. He teaches them how to throw a ball, how to block, how to play defense. He helps them become better players rather than stuck in the same skill level. Well, that's exactly what God does for us. God sees our state. He sees the condition that we are broken because of our sin. And God doesn't simply pass judgment upon us. That's too easy. Like a broken reed, a smoldering wick, God enters into our state and brings us back to life. In doing so, he raises us up out of our state of sin into a right relationship with God. Now, go back to the gospel. John objects. He doesn't want to baptize Jesus. What is Jesus' response? This is very interesting. He says to John, Allow it for now, for thus it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness, setting things right, a right relationship with God. With the fall of grace of Adam and Eve, sin entered this world. And in doing so, sin broke off that right relationship that we had with God. And yet, righteousness is something we can't earn on our own. Only God can set a right relationship with us and him back together again. And see, that's what baptism is all about. Why Jesus, in his first act in public ministry, is seen as the beginning of righteousness, the beginning of Jesus setting all things right between us and God, 
like it was before the fall of grace with Adam and Eve. See, the gospel writers later on saw this. Later on, they understood the significance of Jesus' baptism. And this is why all four of the evangelists made sure to include it in their gospels. Jesus' baptism is not an embarrassment. No, it's just the opposite. It's an incredibly powerful event, a powerful statement that God comes and stands shoulder to shoulder with us to set all things right so that we will once again have a right relationship with God. One last thing. Jesus comes out of the water and it says the Holy Spirit of God descending like a dove upon him and the voice of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Here we see the Holy Trinity on display. All three persons are revealed. Why? It tells us how powerful this baptism is. Such the extent that God's fullness is revealed. We have to realize our God is a God who will stop at nothing to give us a right relationship with him. Now and for all of eternity. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ Rest upon you always.